0: Well, good morning, Grumlaw Church. We are so glad that all of you decided to carve out a little bit of time and spend it here with us this morning. Uh, If you were not with us this past Sunday, you kind of missed another one of those big announcements. In fact, that's just kind of the name of the game right now. If uh, you're not able to join us on Sunday mornings, you're not at least going back and listening to a podcast or watching or listening online, you're probably missing something, and this past week was certainly no different. Uh, We made the exciting announcement that, as promised, we're going to be coming under one name, and that one name is Grumlaw. Church. So moving forward, we'll really be in a lot of ways, one church with three locations, Grumlaw Heartland, Grumlaw Grand Blanc, and then also Grumlaw Online. Uh, If it is your first time here with us today, we just want to give you kind of a special shout out. Just say thank you thanks for giving us this opportunity. Thanks for carving out a little bit of time and spending it here with us today. We don't take that for granted. I also want to just challenge you and say, hey, will you come back at least like three or four times? We we think it takes at least a couple of times for you to really get an accurate feel of what we're all about here. And I'm confident, frankly, that if you do that, this will actually be something that you look forward to each week. This will be something that just kind of becomes a natural part of your weekly rhythm. Uh, Today, we are wrapping up a series that we have actually been in now for the last month. In fact, today's part five of five, as you've likely gathered, titled Forward, where where we are looking forward, where we are looking to the future of this church, and, and we're asking ourselves some hard questions. Why do we exist? What's our purpose? More than anything else, what do we want to be known for in our respective communities? These are obviously really, really important questions to ask, particularly as we do bring these, these two churches together. Uh, th- this series, in so many different ways, are, are really kind of these stake-in-the-ground type moments. The, the, they're culture-defining moments as a church. And so I'm telling you, if you have missed any of the first four parts of this series, even if this is your literally your first week with us today, and you're just like, I kind of want to know what this, this whole church thing is all about, what, what Grumlaw Church is all about, I would really, really encourage you to head on over to Grumlaw.com/slash messages. You can listen there, you can watch there, or as always, you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcasts. Now, I will certainly admit to all of you uh, that I have thoroughly enjoyed preparing the messages for literally this entire series. This is a series I've just been so looking forward to, but today, I got to admit, today kind of holds a special place in my heart and, and is definitely the date as I've looked forward and as months ago when we were planning this series that I've kind of had circled on the calendar. I, I definitely feel that today we have saved the best for last. Uh, several months ago, in fact, it was like, pre-pandemic, and it's funny how time has just kind of flown by over these last eight months, even though a lot of us are frankly less busy than we normally were, but it's just like, oh my goodness, like we're almost to like Thanksgiving, like Christmas is right around the corner. But anyway, sometime like pre-pandemic, a really good friend of mine, he must have done something nice for my family, maybe even the church. I honestly don't even remember what I was trying to show gratitude for, but uh, I felt like I should send him a personal thank you. I wrote him a thank you, uh, and then I sent my buddy Travis also a gift card, a $60 gift card to a restaurant uh, in the envelope as well, just kind of this way to say, hey, thank you, I appreciate you, uh, you and your wife, you know, go out, grab a date on me, and so, you know, after he receives it in the mail, he shoots me a text, and he's just like, hey, man, just wanted to say thanks, that was completely unnecessary, but I do appreciate it, and then a couple months after that, I get a phone call from him, it's like a Friday night, it's like 10 o'clock, I'm like, it's kind of unusual, he's calling me at this time, and so I pick up the phone, and there's one of my good friends, Travis, and he goes, hey, I just wanted to call you and tell you thanks for the coupon, and I was like, What? He's like, yeah, thanks for that coupon for the free appetizer. I was like, dude, I got no idea what in the heck you're talking about. What I didn't realize is he was giving me a hard time. That gift card, that $60 gift card that I bought him was was to a restaurant called Fleming's. Now, I've never been to Fleming's. I I don't know if you've gathered this about me. I'm not like your nice restaurant, get a steak kind of guy. I'm more of like your dive bar, get a burger and fries and get out of the restaurant for me and my wife for like under $20. And what he went on to explain is that like Fleming's apparently is a really nice steakhouse. It's the kind of place where you get a couple drinks, you get an appetizer, you get your entree, you get desserts. And when it's all said and done for two people, you're going to be looking at a bill well in excess of $200. So he was calling me to give me a hard time going, hey, basically you just bought my wife and I an appetizer. When he slapped that gift card down, he never even checked the balance. He thought it was going to cover the entire meal, but the poor waitress had to come back to the table and go, "Uh, sir, you still owe us about 140 bucks plus tip. So, was it generous to get my friend that gift card? Sort of. But really, I just bought him an appetizer, not the entire meal. As a church, here's my point, we don't want to be the sort of generous type of church. We, we want to be the recklessly generous type of church. The, the, the type of church that doesn't just buy the appetizer, but the entire meal. The appetizer, the drinks, the entree, the dessert, plus a generous tip to go on top of all of it. From, from day one, our goal as a church has been, really more than anything else, that we would be known for our generosity in our respective communities. That, that even those individuals who are frankly never going to walk through our doors... They still have positive things to say about the church because the good that we are doing in the community is undeniable. We as a church, me as the leader of this church, a question that I'm constantly asking myself is, if Grumlaw suddenly disappeared, would our community miss us? I mean, seriously, think about that. If we suddenly ceased to exist, would the community miss us? Now, I, I know a lot of you watching, a lot of you listening right now would, but, but would those who don't walk through our doors on a regular basis, What would, would those who have just heard of us before, What would they miss us? Or, or would they simply just kind of shrug their shoulders, move on with their day, much like they would if they heard the local pizza hut shut down? And, and, and I am convinced of this as much as anything else in my life, that the path forward, that, that the path to bringing true value to our communities, The the, the path to ensuring that the answer to that question right here is a resounding yes, it it runs in and through generosity. A, A wise man who goes by the name of Francis Chan, and I'm so irritated that he dropped this line before I got to it because it is so, so good. He said this, he says, "'We never look more like Jesus than when we are being generous.'" Jesus, despite the fact that, that he only spent about three years on earth uh, spreading what we would now refer to as Christianity, which is crazy in and of itself that Jesus only spent about three years doing his earthly ministry, spreading what we would now refer to as Christianity, he, he completely transformed the world during those three years. He, he flipped the world order upside down, and I'm telling you, he did it through generosity. He, he, he would give his time to those who were discarded by society. He he would freely give his power to those who had lifelong disabilities. He he would simply sit and listen, give his ear, his time, his counsel to the hurting. I, I promise you, I'm not just making this stuff up for the sake of this talk. Read the biographical accounts of the life of Jesus, those first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You will see that generosity poured out from Jesus, and of course, most notably, he gave his life for you and I on a cross so that we might have an opportunity to get that right standing back with God. Something that we have no ability to do ourselves. We, we look most like Jesus when we give. When we give our time, our talents, our treasure. And, and as such, nothing grabs the attention of the world more than when the church which is a collection of followers of Jesus, is exceedingly generous with its time, its talent, and treasure. This completely transformed and changed the world thousands of years ago. When this small band of misfits, this small band of Christians started living this way, and the world could not help but take notice. And I am positive that this power still sits with the church today if we would again collectively recapture this. Now, all that being said, it's certainly not lost on Jesus that this is something that does not come natural to a single one of us. So you see, every single person on the planet, Christian or not, left to our own devices, we drift towards what? We drift towards greed. Now, now you might think, depending on where you're at on this whole faith journey, that greed maybe sounds a little bit harsh. And so what we do as human beings is we kind of cleverly disguise greed with other words and phrases like security and retirement and savings, an emergency fund, and just in case. But, but come on, and I know I'm probably going to ruffle some feathers here this morning. This is really greed. It, it's accumulating more for the benefit of you. Leveraging your wealth for the benefit of yourself. Which again, every single person on the planet, every organization, every business, even every church, left to our own devices, we all exclusively drift this direction. Which is probably why Jesus talks so much about greed and wealth and and specifically why he spoke so much about how we push back against greed with this magical word, generosity. Now, this is one of these topics that there really is no shortage of stories and scripture to teach on when you look throughout the pages of this book we call the Bible, but today we're actually going to be taking a look at some of the Apostle Paul's words. Uh, Paul was a guy who in the ancient Mediterranean world was going around and and telling all these people about Jesus. In fact, he was going to all these different areas who had never heard of Jesus before and he was actually starting churches. And because technology back then wasn't what it was obviously today, uh, he would often write letters back to these churches as a source of encouragement. One of these letters that he wrote was to the early Christian church in this area called Corinth. And and we're taking a look at these words this morning because this wasn't just a message for a single person. but, But this was a message for the big C church as a whole. Which includes, just in case you're wondering, anyone who calls himself a Jesus follower today, even and especially in 21st century America. So so we're going to pick up here today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I'm not sure that the title might read in your Bible. Uh, By the way, pull out your Bible wherever you're at right now and actually follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, you can download the version, totally free for all devices. But in my Bible, and this morning I'm going to be reading out of the NLT, or the New Living Translation, this section is titled, A Call to Generous Living. Oh, how fitting. Here's what he says, now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, he's writing again to these, these Corinthians, the Christian church in Corinth, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. So, so interestingly enough, as, as he begins this section, he actually starts out bragging on another church, this, this church in Macedonia. But notice Paul's choice of words here, what God has done. Again, there's there's this recognition here that long-term, if you want generosity to become just who you are, if you're going to stand up against greed and live a life that is marked by generosity, you need God. You cannot pull this off on your own. Long-term, this isn't something you're going to be able to keep up on your own terms. You'll eventually always start drifting towards greed. That even the church as a whole, which is supposed to be a reflection of Jesus himself, cannot keep this up forever without that daily dependence on God. It's why you watching. It's why you listening right now. You need to be spending daily time with Jesus if you want to get this right. See, here's the truth. You don't need to be a follower of Jesus to be generous every once in a while, right? G- generosity is actually something that's almost universally applauded. It's why we have those commercials to, you know, save stray dogs and cats. It's why millions upon millions of dollars pour into the Red Cross when a natural disaster strikes. I assure you, it's not just Christians who are giving to that stuff. But if you want generosity to be more than just like a one-off, If you desire to be like Jesus, which if you call yourself a Jesus follower, that's kind of part of the deal. If you want your life to be marked by generosity as Jesus's life was marked by generosity, a daily dependence on Jesus isn't just important. It is imperative. As in, there isn't any chance you're keeping this up long-term without that daily dependence on him. Paul continues, He says, they are being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. Again, he's continuing to talk about this church in Macedonia, which is being marked by generosity. There's so much right here that we could unpack in this one verse. In fact, we could take multiple Sundays to just unpack this one verse right here. But first, I want to hone in on many troubles. Come on. Isn't this the number one reason? that people aren't generous with their time, their gifts, and their money? You feel like you don't have enough margin. You feel like you actually don't even have enough for you. In fact, how many times have you made deals with God where you've said, God, as soon as fill in the blank happens, then I'll start giving back to you. As soon as she gets done with school, as soon as we pay off the house, as soon as we pay down the credit card debt, As soon as the kids are done with sports, as soon as fill in the blank. But isn't it interesting as soon as it never comes, does it? And and, and come on, let's just kind of have a quick therapy session together this morning. Once one as soon as wraps up, wouldn't you know it? You have come up with a whole new as soon as. We, We never hold up our end of the bargain, do we? I'm going to be very, very blunt with all of you this morning, that 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 perfect moment that you're waiting for to start living that generous life, it's never going to come. If you continue to wait for that utopian moment to start being generous, you will find yourself on your deathbed thinking, crud, I never got around to that, did I? For, For followers of Jesus, a generous life isn't brought about by perfect circumstances, generosity is a choice. You're never going to arrive at that place where you start thinking, you know what? I just have too much time. and I have just too few outlets to exercise my gifts. I have too much money. That land of unicorns is never going to be staring at you in the face. Y'all, generosity is a choice. At a certain point, you have to decide, am I going to live this way? Am I going to take the words of Jesus seriously? But more importantly, am I going to take his life, the way that he lives seriously, and do everything in my power to model my life after his? Come on, it's precisely why Paul penned these words. They are being tested by many troubles, And y'all, they're poor, they're very poor, the Macedonians, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. Now, as filthy rich Americans, we actually can't relate to the poor thing even a little bit. And I don't really want to spend any time convincing all of you that you're rich this morning, so maybe just take my word for it, but you are. By virtue of the fact that you're an American compared to the rest of the world, you are, you are stupid rich. Given the fact that you drive around in a magical vehicle powered by gas with temperature controls that make you warm in the winter and cool in the summer, you are rich. But, but this is not the case with, with this Macedonian church that Paul's re- referencing. That they were poor, as in really poor. Yet Paul tells us they are also filled with abundant joy, which has, what? Read it with me overflowed in rich generosity. Well, how is that even possible? How, how can you be generous if you're broke? How are you supposed to be generous if you're poor? I mean, practically speaking, how can you afford to live this way? Because you're ready for this? I already said it. Generosity is a choice. The Macedonian church was choosing to live this way. Well, what gives? I mean, well, Why in the heck would they decide to do that? Because they were a group of people in love with Jesus. They they, they were so overwhelmed by the great love shown to each of them on the cross by Jesus that generosity became a natural outpouring. It it became an, an inevitable response. Overcome by what Jesus did for them, a generous life became the only appropriate response. Whether they were rich, which they weren't, or they were poor, which they were. Now, if you're watching today and and you do not call yourself a follower of Jesus, I completely understand that most of what I have already said this morning and most of what I am going to continue to say is going to sound completely idiotic, maybe even foolish. But if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you have began to wrap your head around the great lengths that God has gone to in order to win you back, the, the, the love that was shown to you on the cross when Christ died for you, when he took the weight of your sin on his shoulders, endured the wrath of God so that you don't have to endure that wrath, bought your salvation. How could a life marked by generosity not be the only option? I know what, what I'm about to say is probably going to tick some people off, but, but honestly, I don't really care because as the pastor of this church, I am doing you no favors by coddling a lukewarm faith. In fact, there's actually no such thing as a lukewarm Christian. It's an oxymoron. We're not going to see them in heaven. But, but see, when I meet people who would identify as a Christian, yet they never serve in the church of their community, except that one token time a year around Christmas when they give some poor family a ham, that they never go out of the way to help their neighbors, they never give their money to the church or really any other charitable cause, that they never lend their time to hurting people to just sit and listen. I find it very hard to believe that that individual has come to grips with what Christ did for them on the cross. I'm sorry, I'm not buying the idea that that person is in love with Jesus and has been transformed by him because virtually nothing in their life looks different pre-Jesus than post-Jesus. And, sorry, i got to calm down here a little bit. But this is what the world finds so uncompelling about Christianity. that, That we have somehow diluted Christian to refer to a pretty nice guy or a pretty nice lady. And the reality is their lives look virtually identical to their coworkers and their families and their neighbors who don't claim Christ. What grabbed the attention of the ancient world were a group of people who were living so radically different that people couldn't help but stop and ask, what in the heck is going on with these people? That was my neighbor, Jerry. His life looks totally different. Where where, where does this selflessness, where does this generosity come from? We've literally never seen anything like this before. Jesus followers, we we must recapture this. The church must be identified by this. As Paul wrote, they, they are so filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. So overcome by what Christ has done for each of us, generosity becomes something that we choose to be marked by because every single day we're falling more and more in love with Jesus. Generosity becomes a natural outpouring of gratitude in response to what Jesus has done for you. Now over the next couple of verses, Paul actually goes on to, to brag even further on the church in Macedonia, how, how they would give more than they could afford, that they didn't even have to be talked into it. It really was something that they wanted to do. Again, a natural outpouring of gratitude in response to what Jesus had done for them. But, but then at this point, Paul kind of shifts the conversation to the church in Corinth. And, and consequently, he, he shifts the conversation on to all of us as well, all of the faith communities that would follow after. Paul pens these words, knowing how easy it is for even followers of Jesus to drift towards greed and subsequently away from generosity, what what is supposed to be the defining mark of Christians everywhere. He continues in verse seven. He says, since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, he's going, church in Corinth, you guys are killing it in so many different ways. You have great speakers. You have incredible programs. You know so much. You're enthusiastic about your church. That There's actually a lot to get excited about. Grumlaw, Venture Church. You have awesome services on Sundays. You have great music. You have just like really handsome speakers. You have an awesome kids program. You have fun events. However, it's kind of like none of that matters if there's something missing. You excel in so many ways, your faith, speakers, knowledge, enthusiasm, and your love from us. And he says, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. You're doing great in so many areas, but there's an area being neglected that is actually more important than all of that other stuff. In fact, all that other stuff kind of just becomes like background noise unless generosity comes first, unless you are a community of Jesus followers marked first and foremost by your giving. He says, I'm not commanding you to do this, (laughs) but he says, I am testing. Testing what? I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. I love Paul so much. He is not one for mixing words, and most of us, come on, if we were challenged like this, we would get so stinking defensive. We, we would get so mad at the individual delivering these words, and so I'm so happy right here that, that Paul says this so I don't have to be the bad guy. See, we hear a word like test, and we think, how dare you? Who, who are you to challenge me? My generosity, what I do with my time and my talents and my money, that is my business. You have no right. And Paul would say, no, that's not true. Paul would say that we need to be called out on this. That, that we need to be as followers of Jesus and because of our propensity to drift towards greed, we need to be held accountable to this. See, see to allow our fellow believer, for me as the leader of this church, to, to not hold us accountable in this area, it would be neglecting and ignoring something that is central to the heart of God and integral to what it means to actually follow Jesus. Jesus. Maybe you're listening this morning and you think, man, this just sounds so harsh. Paul reminds us where this all comes from, just in case we have forgotten. He says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Just in case you think you're the exception. Just in case you think your circumstances are special. Just in case you think this is optional, let us not forget just how far this goes. That Jesus, the God of the universe, who created the heavens and the earth, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who was and is and is yet to come, that God came down to earth and took on the limitations of a mere mortal, a human being. Think about that humility. He gave his life on a cross after living the perfect life that we were supposed to live and then he rose from the grave so that every single one of us have that opportunity to get that right standing back with him. So do not be so arrogant to think that this need not apply to you. This is how far this goes. This is central as in we need not go any further until we get this right as the church. If we want to grab the attention of our communities, be that kind of church that if suddenly we vanished, that people would miss us. We cannot afford to breeze past this. We cannot afford to be the kind of church that just picks up the appetizer. We have to be the church that picks up the entire bill and leaves a generous tip because we never look more like Jesus than when we are being generous. And just in case you haven't noticed right now in our world, the world really needs Jesus. Now, as mentioned, this doesn't come natural to me, and I know it doesn't come natural to you. We we all exclusively drift towards greed. But like like so many other commands that Jesus gives us, it's, it's a choice. Will you choose to live this way? Will you choose to follow Jesus not just in some areas, but will you submit everything to his lordship and follow him with your entire life? Now, for about the whopping three minutes that I have left here this morning, I want to make this really, really practical for you as the individual. This really isn't that complicated. Here's what this looks like. Three words. Give it up. Everybody say it with me. Give it up. Give up your time. Give up your talents. Give up your treasure. And I know that maybe as a pastor, I'm a little bit biased, but I think the local church is a really great place to start. So start serving on a team here. And please, I'm just kind of challenging you, begging you, like don't just serve like once every couple of months so you get those token times in that you feel better about yourself, but start serving here weekly. When opportunities are presented to serve in our community and we organize a lot of those opportunities, as I said a couple of weeks ago, look for ways to say yes rather than scrambling for excuses to say no. And lastly, and you probably knew this was coming, and I know that this is the hardest one, begin giving a percentage of your income away. Don't just be a tipper. A a tipper is that person that drops 20 bucks in every once in a while, Christmas time comes around, you're like, I guess I didn't really give anything this year, I'll slide in a $100 bill at this time. No, become a percentage giver. It is the most practical way that you can guard against greed in your life, which comes really, really easy for us, as 21st century Americans. Now, we say this often that 10% is not supposed to be the finish line. It's supposed to be the starting point. But I know, I'm smart enough to know that if you have never been a percentage giver, there is probably a very small chance that this morning you're going to start giving 10%. So I don't care what the percentage is. Just start giving a percentage of your income away. Pick the percentage and stick to it and commit to raising that percentage each year. So start with 2%, start with 5%, start with 6%. I don't really care. I just want you to start giving. Now, every single time I say this, I kind of get myself in trouble and people are like, you shouldn't have said that. I'm gonna say it again. I don't really give a rip whether you give it to this church or not. I don't. God's going to provide for this church. I don't sit around and sweat about money. I just want you to give a percentage of your income away. So give it to the local church. Give it to a charitable cause. If you don't trust us here and you're like, I don't know if I want to give to the church yet, just pick something and start giving a percentage of your income away. You can't afford not to do this. It is going to be impossible to guard against greed in your life if you do not become that percentage giver. Now, if you've been showing up to church for really any amount of time, you already knew all that stuff. So so let's get to what I am super excited to announce this morning and talk about. Uh, The tension that I have had many, many times as a follower of Jesus is when I walk into a church and there's all this talk about generosity and giving. And then I'm kind of looking around the curtain going, it doesn't seem like the church itself is really modeling this. And so in order to guard against greed as an organization, as the church itself, we have actually put some very, very practical safeguards in place to make sure that we are practicing what we preach. Uh, The first thing being church starting. We we are committed to starting more churches. I I don't want this to bum anybody else, but Grumlaw, y'all, hot secret, in and of itself is not going to change the world. No, no, the churches that are going to have an impact well into the future are the churches that are committed to starting more churches, raising up leaders and shoving them out the door to start the next one, equipping them with finances, equipping them with resources and saying, get the heck out of the side of these walls and go start the next church. We need more churches, getting behind other churches and helping them go farther, faster. We, we, We will be intentional about being a church that is known for its sending capacity rather than its seating capacity. And these are not just mere words. In fact, right now in in the state of Michigan, we are currently supporting four churches. The Commonwealth of Faith in Redford, Comeback City in Southgate, The House in Detroit, and Reza in Ann Arbor. And and that doesn't include a myriad of other churches like Cross and Anchor in Detroit, Good Church in Flint, Thrive in Mount Pleasant, and so many more whom we've given one-time gifts to in order to help them get off the ground. Here's a bit of the story of just a couple of those churches that your dollars and the resources here at Grumlaw have helped to support.
1: We just felt like we were called to build a church that builds a city. We felt like we were supposed to be rebuilding a community through the local church. Cassie and I—we just really believe that the local church is still the hope of the world. Yeah. Like there is no Plan B, yep. and uh, and it's the one thing that God is coming back for. Like Christ is coming back for the local church, and uh, and that's really the vision—to build a church that builds a community, that builds a city. And
0: yeah, we were getting ready for a wedding, and Jake started describing a community that the Lord had also revealed to me during my quiet time, and. It was blue collar, people that were proud of their city, that had this sense about them that whenever it was hard, they were just gonna push through. And we started talking and he said, babe, I think it's Detroit. And I got goosebumps and I was like, I think it's Detroit too. So we never made a list. (laughs) The Lord revealed the
2: community to us. That weekend, we went to go visit downtown Detroit and-
1: Yeah, we fell in love with the community
2: you know for probably a good solid year i really felt a stirring inside of me and and heard a question that maybe maybe i i've heard many times before probably as i look back in my life and the question was what is your god sized dream the second question that wrecked me uh, was if money was no object would you plant a church and I just kind of looked at him, scoffed, said, if money was no object, sure, I'd plant a church. And then I realized I have never said the words, yes, I would plant a church. Am I not planting a church because of fear that you won't provide for the thing that you're calling me to do? Yeah, some people even are wondering, really, in Ann Arbor, another church. um, You've had that question. Yeah, there's a couple of churches that are doing really well there. Um, but there are about 120,000 people in the Ann Arbor area. And about 70% of those people Over have, absolutely, the yeah, have absolutely no affiliation with any religion whatsoever. And so uh, it's not really the question. Really, another church churches, like, why isn't there 10 more churches? And so we definitely care more about uh, our sending capacity than our seeding capacity. And I'm so grateful for churches like Grum Law. I'm so, church, I'm so grateful for networks like the Send Network um, that understand the mission is bigger than just what we can build in our building.
1: Not only are is every church planter needed, every individual church is needed in its community. God gives them a specific vision. And there's not a one size fits all either. Like every, every vision that God gives to a senior pastor to plant a church Although we have the same goal to reach people for Jesus, it is tailored to that community. And and so church planning is so important because what we're doing in Downriver may not translate in a place like Miami or California. So it's important that we identify the right people for the right places because God's gonna speak to a leader and then send them to a community. Yeah, and and you know we absolutely are honored to be in relationship with your pastors. And uh, and Shay came to speak at our church. We asked him to come speak in January, and he said he began to speak about how he saw the call of God on our lives and how mm-hmm. they believe in church planting and they want to be able to be uh, able to invest into the Downriver community. Mm-hmm. And, and then he pulled out this little envelope and he said that he had been praying and uh, felt like the Lord wanted Grumlaw to partner with Comeback City Church. And so to our surprise and to our church's surprise, that day he handed us a check from Grumlaw Church for $8,000. Uh, and then he said that as he was preparing the check, uh, the, the Lord actually told him to stop being so stingy and uh, felt like there was more that God wanted him to do to partner with us. And in addition to that, Grumlaw committed to partner with Comeback City Church for another $1,000 a month over the next 12 months. And so I've never been a part of a, of a church where a guest speaker comes in and blesses a church that way. And <laughs> yeah. it uh, it had rad- it just radically changed the generosity of our church. The people are now being more generous than yeah. ever because of what they saw your generosity do. Yeah. So we just wanna say thank you for believing in church planners like us.
2: Um,
0: One evening, we were sitting in Shay and Andrea's living room, and Shay told us that Grumla could give $12,000. That was kind of unbelievable for us. Mm -hmm. We were like, that's amazing. He said, but I'm going to go to my management team, and we're going to talk about it, pray about it, and we might be able to give more.
2: And then he actually ended up coming back and telling us that after the management team prayed that they were able to commit $24,000 to us. And honestly, it blew us away. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Gromlo, for your generosity. Thank you, Prisks, for your leadership. Thank you, management team, for your discernment and prayer. We will be forever
0: grateful. Seriously, how good is that? Y'all, you are a part of these stories. When eternities are being transformed at places like Comeback City and Reza, we get to share in those victories because your generosity helps stories like that be told. Again, we need more churches because we need more churches who are going after and reaching after the lost people in our communities. Churches that aren't just settling to be country clubs for Christians. We, we will, Lord willing, always have that next church starter in residence that is going to go out and start that next church. In fact, that's actually happening here just a couple months months from now. Jason and Laura Lowen, who have been with Grumlaw now for well over a couple of years, uh, they're going to be starting Union Church in Flint Township this February. So stinking exciting, and it actually gets better. We are part of an incredible organization, incredible network called the North American Mission Board, which is actually the largest church starting network in the world right now, planning on average 100 of churches a month right here in North America. I'm not sure if you noticed it, but at the beginning of that video, a certain figure was thrown on the screen. You ready for this? 11%. Y'all, 11% of every dollar given to Grumlaw, all campuses, goes directly to starting more churches. A portion actually of that 11% goes back to that North American mission board, which gets dropped into this cooperative pot with thousands of other churches that are contributing to it all across North America. So more stories can be told like the ones that we just heard. It's because of organizations like the North American Mission Board that Grumlaw was actually able to get off the ground in the first place. And now we want to be a part of that movement, be a part of more stories like this being told. We can go farther, faster together when we start looking at each other as partners rather than competition. Now, I know I can't see all of you right now, but I think that deserves some applause. And one last announcement this morning. As I've been saying over and over again, this doesn't come natural to any of us, not even us as a church. But we can't afford to miss this. We can't afford to ignore this. And just as I've said to all of you, if you wait for that perfect moment to start living this way, y'all, the moment ain't going to come. Similarly, if, if we were to wait as a church to start living this out until everything seemed perfect, until everything seemed financially stable, we will never arrive at that moment. And so symbolic of that and being a church that we want to put our money where our mouth is, pun very much intended, today I'm excited to announce that 100% of the offering given at all campuses, online, in person, all the money, 100%, is going to go directly to starting more churches. We, as an organization, are not going to keep one nickel of it. Now, candidly, can we afford to do that? Not really. From the world's view, is this even a wise decision? No. But are we, as followers of Jesus... As the local church going to take the words of Jesus seriously and live this out, you better believe it. And so in that vein, if you'd like to give towards church starting today, again, 100% of the offering today is going to go towards that. You can go to grumlawcom give. You can give there. Uh, or you can use our text to give option where you text any dollar amount to 84321 and then follow those prompts. Y'all, we cannot afford not to do this. And I know that the more we practice this, the more natural it will become. As we fall more in love with Jesus daily, the more we'll see this as the only appropriate response. And as generosity becomes the way of this church, our communities and the world will take notice.